Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode one of Overtime, where I sit down with Rob Alderson, VP Content at WeTransfer, to talk about his journey through management. Uh, it was really great to sit down with Rob. As we mentioned in the podcast, I work with Rob with the work that I do at WeTransfer, but it's not very often that we get to sit down and talk about his previous experience in managing. So a big thanks to Rob for being so open with his journey and you know the what to do's and what not to do's that he's learned along the way and how that's helped him uh, to where he is now and managing his team at WeTransfer. Uh, it, for me personally, it's so much fun to sit down and hear, you know, everyone's got a story to tell. Um, and since we've been doing this work together, uh, great to hear how some things connect um, and how they've been implemented into his day-to-day work. What I love about my job is I share, you know, I'll sit with a whole group of seven to 10 people, share within the same content, but it's always implemented in a very different way that's unique to them. And so it's so valuable for me to hear how it's been implemented, how it's helped, sometimes how it hasn't helped. It's all really big learnings for me. Uh, Rob was great. He's set the bar very, very high and uh, I won't hold it back anymore. Please enjoy the Overtime Podcast with Rob Alderson. So, welcome to the first Overtime Podcast. I'm sitting here with Rob Alderson, VP Content from WeTransfer. Mm-hmm. Rob, great for you to have boldly agreed to be on the first episode. Yeah, set the standard. Exactly. The bar <laughs> is going to be high. Yeah. And, yeah, I think the best way to start is for you to, you know, Tell us, what does it mean to be VP content at WeTransfer? Figuring that out myself, really. <laughs> uh, it's a very grandiose title. Essentially, I'm an arts journalist. That's my background. Um, but now I head up the content team for WeTransfer, uh, which means I have uh, four people and one freelancer who are reporting to me in terms of the editorial team. Um, but I also kind of sit across the marketing team. So even though I don't manage the wider marketing team, I help out with some of the kind of leadership stuff for them as well. Um, so I have a slightly um, unholy mix of proper reports and then some people who can come and moan at me when they're not happy with something. <laughs> Lots of dotted lines. Yeah. Um, but basically our job is to curate the artwork that you see on WeTransfer and to help Um, kind of shape the content that we create with different talents around the world, whether it's musicians or photographers or anything like that. Great. And before you were working with... It's Nice That, which is a London-based design uh, magazine, website and events business. Um, And I was editor-in-chief there for four years. Great. Did you have a team there? Uh, I did. um, Pretty similar size. I think at the most I had about five people reporting to me. So I've never like run a big team. uh, I don't think I've ever managed anyone who managed anyone else. Okay. So it's always been a reasonably flat structure. But I think I've often been the archetypal middle manager that I've had a kind of boss <laughs> managing me. And I've had to both manage up and down expectations for my team, who have always been quite junior, a lot of people who are in their first jobs. Yeah. Um, and then both bosses, actually, who were very kind of fundamentally connected in the kind of board of the company. So have certain uh, expectations and uh, desires that I need to fulfill. (laughs) And how do you feel? So I think middle management has been written, spoken, talked about for ages. A lot of people trying to avoid the term, but, you know, as companies grow, you can't avoid Mm -hmm. being in the middle. How have you, you know, I think there's advantages to it because you don't, have to like hold that the stuff on your shoulders isn't as heavy mm-hmm. there's obviously some disadvantages to it what have you found to be the biggest 
pros cons? I think the biggest the biggest pro I think is that you're you're really connected with the two fundamental things that make up a business. So in on the one hand you've got the kind of strategic direction that's coming from the board or the founders or whoever that might be. Um, but then you've got, you know, the really, the people, I make it sound very dramatic, people at the cold face, I was going to say, not that arts journalism is equatable to mining. Um, but, you know, the people who are really then carrying that out. And I find that quite interesting. It's two very different challenges to have those types of conversations. I definitely think you can get caught in the middle. And I think that um, there have been times where uh, the two can start to feel like a kind of cartoon where you've got your feet on two different icebergs and the two icebergs are going in different <laughs> directions and the only end result is that you fall crotch first into the freezing water um, and I think I've certainly done that at times but I think now because it's my second time doing this I've got better at um, heading that off before it happens and trying to identify when I think the kind of the people at you know the the, the business end who are, who are actually doing the stuff and the strategic direction when that's you know getting further apart and mm. I think that's one of my strengths in my current job actually I think I'm pretty good at reading the pulse of the kind of um, day-to-day operation and, and hopefully being able to feedback some of the concerns or frustrations that people might have to the management and I think you need so you need some middle managers to be able to do that uh, and I've always found you know we as as middle managers tend to really get well, they hear the brunt of it, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and they become a filtering system. But it also takes a ton of energy to hear that amount of, you know, whether it's complaints or frustrations. How have you found you can filter that and and you know communicate that up to the stakeholders in a constructive way, so that it doesn't just become about oh they're moaning again? Because uh, so I think two things. I think one is that. I've been really lucky in both jobs I have very very much drunk the Kool-Aid and bought into what the business is trying to do Mm -hmm. so I think that makes it easier because I have both in both positions been absolutely convinced that what the business is trying to do is a good thing and that the way the managers are trying to get us there so that helps because then I think you can at least you know you're not absorbing the kind of frustrations and the complaints and kind of going yeah I agree (laughs) so I think that's one thing I think for me, and this is something actually, I've actually learned much more the second time I've done it rather than the first time, is, is what you said there, is to be that filter. So it's not, you're not a kind of a valve just sending every complaint up the tree and then having the response come back. It's very much, and I think I'm better now at sitting on things for a few days and maybe waiting to see or, you know, checking it. Okay, so someone's told me this, is someone else in the team feeling like this? So, okay, yes, actually this is a problem, we need to run it up. A little further or no this is someone who had a really bad day or someone who's got a very specific issue with something and I think just I've become a lot better at breathing taking a little time checking um, and, and then being able to identify yeah this is something um, or no look this is something that I can deal with mm. on, a, on an issue but you're right about it taking energy it can at its worst it can just feel like you're pleasing nobody and you're kind of I think there's a danger you become a kind of emotional punch bag for people um, and that's a horrible situation to be in uh, and I think that's where you need to uh, step out of things maybe a little bit and, and try and get some perspective yeah definitely and I like that you know in what you've learned to do is kind of take that step back instead of 
I think it, we care, we inherently care for the people on our team and we inher- we tend to care for the people that we work for as well. So you don't want to disappoint either. And when people in your team are feeling really disjointed or, you know, are frustrated, it's hard not to immediately go into like, I want to fix this. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's great that you've learned, you know, take that time out and maybe it is just a bad day mm-hmm. and uh, people like to vent. But it's also an interesting challenge, like I said earlier, a lot of the people who have had work for me, it's been their first job. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really specific management challenge because again, some of their complaints are, uh, I keep saying making sense of so negative. <laughs> some of the issues they bring up are simply because they've not got no point of comparison. And again, yes. I think I've got better at being able to read that and kind of go, oh, I see, yeah, you've never worked somewhere. <laughs> that's why this feels like a massive deal or this feels like you don't understand why this is happening. But equally, you can't use that as a, catch-all get-out clause just to go well they don't know any better so I'm not <laughs> going to deal with these complaints um, so yeah I think that's a adds an extra layer into things and, and you know I think we're all the same we learn to be managers and to interact with people both above and below us only through experience mm-hmm. and I think if you do have less of that experience or if you only have a certain you know sometimes you come across people who have only worked in a very specific type of environment and they struggle to adapt to a new type of environment. And I think it's quite interesting to, yeah, try and get a sense of holistically what's going on with this person, where do they come from, what's their frame of reference for this, and how can then I most constructively talk to them about it that's not you just laying down what you think should be. <laughs> Although there is a place for that. <laughs> I often, I found myself, and I've heard other people, you know, like, say those awful phrases like well in my day you Mm -hmm. used we had to and it it just so quickly you can turn into like we used to have to walk through a field with bare feet to get to work and you know i know how poorly that lands Mm -hmm. because it's been said to me by my parents like i don't care (laughs) i'm living in my day and these are these are my expectations but i think that's got worse as as there's been this kind of demonization of the millennial mindset in a sense yeah. and, and almost like, well, we can lump all you because you know what they're like. They're too busy taking selfies to think about <laughs> it. And it's so reductive and it's so stupid. Um, but, you know, there are things... Yeah, and that's a really good point. It's, it's about being able to use your experience and to draw comparisons where they're relevant or where they might be useful for someone without being that old guy in the corner of the pub telling people how <laughs> we're going to hell in the handcart. <laughs> no, exactly. And, uh, you know, it's... I'm excited that, you know, as sometimes as frustrated as it, as it can be when the expectations are so misaligned, excited that the next generation, and I won't use the term. The M word. The M word. Um, are pushing boundaries and, you know, forcing us to think differently. Um, going back to the first time you became a manager, can you recall what that felt like? Yeah, so it's a bit. So, so it's nice that job came a little bit out of the blue. I was working as a newspaper journalist, and when you first start as a newspaper journalist, you you have two years, and then you take some exams. So I'd done the exams, and I'd done quite well. And then basically, the newspaper group I was working for said, "Okay, we'd like to, to take you to a bigger paper within our group, a, a daily um, local newspaper down the south coast." And then at the same time, this kind of nice that job came along, and it was a real fork in the road in my life and in my career. And you know, I wanted to be a journalist for a long time, but newspapers didn't quite feel like the right fit. And suddenly this design magazine in East London, which wasn't a world I knew anything about, was on the table. And, and so, so in the end, you know, it was a real kind of existential decision. And I ended up taking it as nice that job and it was absolutely the right thing for me to do. But what it meant was we didn't talk too much about specifics, I don't think. Or I don't recall doing it. So basically what it meant was that I, or once I'd kind of signed on, 
they kind of said, oh, and you're going to manage this person who's already here. Because at that point, it's nice that they didn't have any writers. They were all designers who were kind of writing on the side um, or people with design backgrounds. And so I kind of arrived and was, was given this person. And I think I mean, she wasn't sure about me. I didn't know her. Um, and yeah, it was, it was, it was tough. It was, I had no experience. I had, no, I had a little bit of training as it went on, but you know, nothing to go in there with. And yeah, I just remember thinking, wow, I'm not, I'm not ready. I'm not prepared for this. Um, and it was probably, it was difficult. Um, mm. You know, I, for, for various reasons, not least my inexperience and my inability to do all those things I've just talked about, to empathise and to think about people's frame of reference and to stand in their shoes. You know, she'd been there a long time. Suddenly this guy came in who didn't know anything about the work and made a big thing of that I was like I don't know anything about design hey great I'm your boss now uh, so yeah I would have done a load of things differently um, uh, and I think and, and she moved on after about a year and then I built a bit more of my own team there and I think yeah she probably got the brunt of my learning, learning on the curve. job which is yeah I, I've seen her occasionally since and she's seen fine so I think uh, she's forgiven me for is there anything is there anything if you could go back like what's the thing you'd do differently I'd have um, addressed the elephant in the room which was that she didn't particularly know who I was I'm not sure she particularly understood why I was there mm. and I think we should have just had that talk and of course she might have decided then and there okay this isn't for me but I think we both skirted around it me more than her um <laughs> And yeah, I think going back, it's there was no you know sense of that. And actually, I had a slightly similar situation when I came into this job. Mm-hmm. I was kind of someone was kind of peeled off from their team and given to me. And I think I did a much better job of saying, "I know this is really weird. I need you to trust me and kind of come with me on this." And mm. now you know she's my my kind of second in command, and, and we work really well together. And I think that that was definitely an example of unfortunately the first person um, I had to go through that to become better at it the second time. I think. Yes, and I think that's that's the story of management and leadership right like you don't you don't know until you try um or don't try and then realize that actually you know the act of not doing something can be more impactful than doing yeah that. and i think that's really surprising because i think not arrogantly but i think you know you obviously have had managers by the time you managed the first time and i think you kind of go well there's common sense here I know what you know I had a manager once who would never say thank you for anything and his mm. point was kind of like well I pay you why, why would I thank you and so you know and then there's someone who I had who I don't think was particularly was very interested in getting the job done but wasn't very interested in me and my career and so, so you know you take that and you go okay well I'm going to try and be a manager like that and you just kind of assume that it's common sense and then you actually get put in a situation and you almost like have this outer body experience where you hear yourself saying these things in <laughs> meetings and you're like what are you doing? Like, or you're on the bus on the way home and you're replaying this stuff. And I think that's a real, um, you know, I think I, I've got so much more respect now for the skill of management and for the time. I, I think it was actually something you said to me a, a while ago and it was talking about actually like um, the only way to do it properly is to, is to calendar in time. So I literally do now, I have two hours a week, which is like my management time with my, and I have one-to-ones and I look through what we've done in the week. And I, it's the only way you can do it. You know, you have to have respect for it as a skill and not just as a kind of like, oh, well, I've had managers. You know, that's like saying, oh, well, I've seen a violin, so I'll probably be fine with this. And like, <laughs> so it's true. a different thing. I'll read a book about violins, exactly. and I'll be yeah, fine. Exactly, yeah, like, I've watched YouTube videos of, like, yeah, famous violinists, so. Um, speaking of violins, no. Um, and and speaking of previous managers, was there anyone that, that you were managed by that you felt, you know what, they really had that spot on? 
No, if I'm honest. Um, I didn't have a huge amount of jobs. You know, I, I was a, a late um, developer in terms of getting a job. It's <laughs> probably the best way of putting it. Sounds so, very millennial of you. <laughs> yes, exactly, yeah. Um, and so I actually didn't have many. I can think of probably three or four people who are accounted as managers. I think there are elements of all of them. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's an interesting thing. I do think that even managers who I look back on now and think, like, wow, you know, the person who wouldn't say thank you, for example, 99% was a nightmare but was very, very clear on his expectations. So the one thing I would say about him was that you never were confused where you stood with him. Mm. Like, I didn't particularly like the bloke. I didn't, he didn't get the best out of me. But I think that's then something you can take from him. But no, it was more, it was more um, yeah, elements from different people, both positive and negative. And I think, I imagine that's how most of us are. You cobble together a kind of composite of the managers you've had. And I would expect if you sat down and tried to then um, break that apart you would very clearly go oh that I got from that person and that I got but now I can't think of someone who who I thought oh wow this person gets it I have now worked with people who haven't managed me but I've seen managing Mm. and there's someone who we work with who I think is one of the best managers I know and um, she consistently impresses me and I'm kind of like wow I really want to learn from you what are you most impressed with? so I think one of my biggest shortcomings uh, and I know this about myself and I've been told this is that I sometimes uh, get too close to my teams um, and I like to have a kind of slightly informal jokey piss-taking atmosphere Mm -hmm. and yet that can make it then difficult though when you then have to I've had experience in the past where you then have to maybe do something very serious or very difficult and it it causes you a massive problem Um, uh, and I think this person I'm thinking of in particular I think she just has a really perfect balance between being professional and managing and being able to pull up her team when she doesn't think they're doing it but superhuman very approachable um, and I think that combination is a really is a really key skill and I think it's difficult because I'm never going to be a really distant manager that's just not what my personality is and I think a bit like with writing I think as a writer you can kind of dial up or dial down who you are but you can't be someone completely different Mm -hmm. and I think that's the same with managing Um, and so I think what I just need to find is that line a little bit better and I, I think I'm, I'm slightly better than I was and it's an ongoing process but I think it's that trying to um, trying to say well I, well, well I like to be someone who's down there with my team and you know bantering and uh, bantering is a horrible word um, my team would probably say just taking the piss out of it uh, <laughs> but then it's quite hard to be like ah yeah that's a stupid scare have you got that report for me and I just suddenly <laughs> switch into that kind of professional mode so um, so yeah so I, so, I, so I take a lot of interest watching other people I, th- I think you know we're obviously on the management team together at um, WeTransfer and I think we have really different personalities and it's quite mm-hmm. fascinating to see how their personalities then spin out into their management styles and I take a lot from watching watching different people now I think. yeah definitely and I think you know to your point I've seen it before and maybe you've seen it before too when someone is trying to adopt a different style and like it's inherently against who they are yeah. and it just doesn't land in the right way no. and I think the most awkward example of that is when you see someone promoted who suddenly you know was the guy yeah. with the beers and the hangovers and the thing and then suddenly he's like oh no now I'm this kind of really Shaved strict face. authoritarian and you're yeah. like oh you can't do that like we know we saw yeah. behind the curtain already exactly um, yeah and I, yeah and like you say that lack of authenticity you just can't keep it up no and the energy that that takes is (laughs) longer than two hours of scheduled time a week yes i can imagine and so i one thing that is really important to us at first time leader is leaving people with practical tools and tips because Mm -hmm. i think you know there's so many books 
out there on leadership and management, but there's a lot of like, you know, bitty content that can actually be as impactful, if not more, um, than reading a whole book or taking a whole course or an MBA. Have you found anything that you either, you know, really stood out to you, you continually to go back back to, you recommend it to peers? Is anything like that that, that you would recommend? So, yes. Yeah, so, so the thing I said before, you know, my, um, my thing has very much been having to learn an appreciation and a respect for the skill of management. And I think part of that has to be more open to resources and that kind of thing. Mm. What doesn't tend to work for me is resources that are about management in a business sense. It just doesn't. I have a journalist cynicism that <laughs> jumps up in front of me like that thing in Jurassic Park with that thing around his neck. And, um, <laughs> I think, and I've learned that, and that's fine. It's not so I don't get anything out of it. I do, but it doesn't impact me in the way that I really like it when it's examples of leadership or management in a completely different setting. Mm. Um, there was an article I think you shared with us about the All Blacks yeah. um, and how they kind of run their team dynamic. Um, or it's little bits of, you know, reading... Um, books about completely different things or um, I read a, an interesting book about the history of the New York Times that actually wasn't very interesting, it was quite a boring book but it has very <laughs> interesting bits about how people see the management there and how, there was this nice thing about how people never felt that anyone was making a decision there's just these kind of things emerge from the mass of workers and that's something that I think about a lot and how we're communicating our decisions so they feel uh, open and how do people mm. understand where we got to something rather than that feeling so so yeah I think for me that, that all black thing I do recommend to a lot of people I think that's really interesting um, uh, but yeah I think it's, it tends to be for me trying to um, take lessons from things that are a little more indirect mm-hmm. um, and trying to um, apply them then in, into a management style it, I struggle with that more direct sense of hey, this is how you manage. It's because they're all done in the same way. It's like there's a kind of (laughs) such a visual language that people reach for. And there's a cadence that people kind of talk in when they're doing this. And yeah, it it turns me off quite quickly. No, I get it. And I I always highlight that, especially if you're reading like cases from other companies, you know, by a medium or a blog, that that, those experiences are very, are impactful for them because it was theirs. Yeah. And so, yeah, great that looking outside of that kind of norm and you're finding your own experiences mm. and, and tools. There's, a, there's an episode of Friends where Joey becomes really obsessed with the Porsche outside the coffee shop. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? He, gets, he basically decides that he... Someone mistakes him as a Porsche owner and he really decides he likes that identity. Yes, yes. And then the Porsche gets taken away and he, there's a scene where he turns up and he's got like a Porsche hat, a Porsche jacket, a Porsche key ring, and a Porsche, like everything's well. And sometimes I feel a little bit that um, we get quite evangelical about that management stuff. And you kind of, you know, people go, oh my God, I've heard all this stuff about Google, and it's Google this, and Google do this, and oh, well, Google do this with their lunch cubes. And it's kind of like, yeah, that's fine, but that's Google's thing. Like, let's not be Joey in the Porsche. You know, yeah. let's try and think about what works for you. And yeah, I get quite uncomfortable with kind of almost unqualified adoption of models or things or even terminology that have worked for other people. I think businesses are different and um, have, you know, it, it's very almost disrespectful to try and just take something that works somewhere. And that's not to say you can't learn from these places. Of course you can. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it, it's interesting. We, we do some research at the moment into companies who do similar things to us. And every now and then you'll be reading something like, yeah, this is so good. And then you, I don't know, read how big their team is and they're seven times as big as us or you read it about their marketing budget which is five times as high, and then you're like oh right okay cool then yeah. we can't just copy them um 
so yeah I think it's uh, yeah I kind of agree I think it's really important that you uh, and, and it's not just the organisation sometimes that management stuff for all it's preaching I think eradicates the human aspect and actually whether you've got a leadership team like we have you know that is a collection of personality a certain type of personalities no not you know a certain um, mix of personalities mm-hmm. and I think that it, it's crazy to just to ignore that you know mm-hmm. um people have different ways of looking at things and, and now I think we need to start to know where people will fall on certain issues but you can't just ignore that and go oh yeah but Slack do this so we're going to do this yeah thing. no exactly well and it's not sustainable because what works with one team whether it's your the team you manage or the team you're working with um, will be different mm. in the next place or will mm. be you know you added different a new person and then the dynamics completely change mm-hmm. and I think people aren't can't be processed you know, I'm quite fascinated by that thing that in our company you have six or seven broad types of jobs that people do and they, they have different requirements and different personalities and different. And I'm quite interested in how we then try and synthesize that as a leadership team into some kind of approach but leaving the flexibility mm-hmm. for each team to be managed quite differently because of course you know, I work in a marketing team and we're all show-offs and we speak like this quickly and lots of ideas and it's all kind of unstructured and I love that, I love that energy. The tech guys are super different and to not acknowledge that and to say, well, this is what the company does, is, is feels like a real um, quick way to alienate people. But I've never worked somewhere where that's happened before. Usually it's been maybe two broad types of people. Um, right. So I find it quite fascinating to watch and see how we will all agree on something as a, as a kind of leadership team and then we'll all go off to our separate things and, and almost retranslate it yeah. in a way for our group. And I think that's really important. Yeah, so I've been like doing this reference to like different planets so like different teams are different planets and they speak different languages Mm -hmm. and I think the more I've been like observing like it's actually really true that you have a culture within an organization but then there's these subcultures and different Mm -hmm. teams and they have they use different tools and they actually speak in different languages sometimes because coding language and Mm -hmm. you know Um, and when you need to get them to work together you can't take that stuff for granted like mm-hmm. it, it has to be called out mm-hmm. um because the di- then the dynamics of the team will have to reform mm-hmm. i find that fascinating but, but, but that kind of goes back to that thing when you said you know whatever it's about acknowledging the issue yeah and, and I, I just think that so often problems arise because people will uh pussyfoot around it or you know it's quite uncomfortable to say it and maybe that makes it more real actually it's, it's yes it might be a little more uncomfortable for that morning but then it's out there and everyone understands it and everyone can work around it in a much better way I think yeah almost in every professional environment I've been in which has gone seriously wrong I think it's because things have been unacknowledged or unsaid definitely of course you're not going to deal with it no people will make up their own story and it's usually way worse than what it is (laughs) exactly yeah (laughs) um okay well on that note positive note (laughs) thank you (laughs) Uh, no, but seriously, um, it, it's been so great to sit down with you and, and talk about that. Um, although we work together, we never are able to take the time to talk about these things. Um, great takeaways, specifically, don't be Joey in the Porsche. Don't be I Joey like in the that Porsche a lot. If nothing else, take that with you. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yes, I would say the bar has been set high. Wow, okay. And uh, maybe you'll be the only podcast feature. <laughs> Yeah, 100% hit rate. That'll be okay. I'll take that. That'll be fine. Uh, but no, thank you, Rob, for um, coming on to Overtime and giving us those great stories. Thank you very much. So thanks for listening. I thought it was brilliant how Rob was able to tie in 
an episode of Friends and one of my favorite characters, Joey, to management. Hope you enjoyed it too. If you did, please share on your social channels. Um, do share your thoughts. Uh, you can always email us at info at firsttimeleader.tv. We're always thrilled to get feedback. Um, how can we make this more relevant to you? Anyone you know that you think would have really good stories to tell, uh, always open to hear from you guys. So looking forward to uh, episode two. I'm not going to give any details away. You're just going to have to be patient. Um, but really, really hope you enjoyed our first episode. Thanks and speak to you soon.